0: The Matt Walsh Podcast, Matt Walsh on Demand. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here. All that nice stuff. Let's get right into it because what I'm going to do today is uh, I'm I'm going to challenge you. I think I'm going to challenge you. Now I assume that whoever's listening to this, I have no idea who listens to it or or if anyone does, but whoever's out there, all five or six of you, I'm going to assume that. You basically, you're listening because you know who I am, and uh, so maybe you've been following, you've been reading the blog and so on. So then I'm further going to assume that you're probably, although not definitely, but probably the majority of the people that are listening to to this voice right now are on the right side of the supposed political spectrum. Conservative, they call it. So that's how I'm addressing this. Podcast to today, because I've been very troubled. I've been troubled by the uh, goings-ons in conservative conservative dumb. Is that a thing? Conservative dumb. I've been troubled by it, whatever it is. And so that's what I want. That's what I want to talk about. All right. First of all, of course, I am like you, a conservative. I only wish I knew what that meant. Um, what is a conservative? Do you know? Can you define it? I'm not sure that I can. But whatever it is, I'm regularly told that I am one. And that's fine. It doesn't offend me. I mean, I'd much rather just be called, say, a Christian. I'd prefer that label. It's much more universal. Much more all-inclusive. Even if you have to label me, you could just call me a, a father, husband, dude, fella, guy. I'll take any of those labels. But I won't quibble with the conservative thing. I suppose I can't quibble with it anyway because my right-wing credentials are uh, beyond reproach. If I do say so myself, avid pro-lifer, sanctity of marriage guy, uh, self small government advocate, self-government advocate as, as well, tax cut lover, gun rights supporter—that's me. So I'm the guy who talks about you know personal responsibility and. The guy who takes advantage of any opportunity to criticize feminism. It's one of my favorite hobbies. I'm the guy who defends religious liberty. Believes in border security, law and order, economic freedom. So you read my stuff consistently for even one week. And there's just no possible way that you could come away from it thinking that I'm either a closet liberal or the kind of non-liberal who feels the need to appease liberals. I get death threats from liberals for a reason, okay, because I don't appease them. And I'm only explaining all this to you so that um, you will understand the context in which some of the following accusations were emailed and messaged to me after I took to Facebook a couple days ago to post a very short opinion about a current topic. And I posted that opinion not long afterwards. People responded, as they do, as I encourage them to do, as a matter of fact. But in this case, I'll just give you a few a few snippets, a few tidbits. Um, I had one message, said, Never thought I'd see the day that Matt Walsh becomes a liberal. All caps. You're just another idiot, another person says, who tries to score points with liberals. Another one, typical liberal, arguing with emotion and no brains. Shut the F up. Only he didn't say F. Very scandalizing. Uh, uh, we got, uh, uh, Matt, you've fallen for the leftist trap. Another dumb blogger spouting liberal propaganda, liberal propaganda. That's me. You you, you got me pegged down. So, and there were other things and and there were other responses that were much more reason, reasonable and reasoned, well-reasoned. But what did I do? What did I do to uh, what sin did I commit to get myself cast out from the village? Well, I'll tell you what it was. I said that I don't support torture. Now, of course, this came up after the Senate released its uh, torture report, which reveals CIA tactics, alleged CIA tactics, I, su- I suppose, that were used against suspected terrorists in the years following 9-11. Um, And the issue has turned into another partisan kind of squabble uh, where liberals express outrage against this particular form of brutality, and many conservatives think that they're supposed to celebrate it because that's what the script calls for in this case. So what I've learned in the last few days is that some conservatives are not only humongous fans of torture, but are so adamant about it that that in their minds, you aren't allowed to be a conservative if you don't think we should strip people naked, drown them, threaten to rape their mothers, or leave them lying nude on a concrete floor until they die of hypothermia. I mean, it's one thing to personally condone this stuff. It's another to insist that condoning it is fundamental to your entire philosophy on life, which is apparently how some people feel. Certainly not most, now I don't normally take to chastising people on "quote my side," but um, these days I'm questioning who's actually on my side and what the sides are and what any of it actually means. Um, because I've I've been perusing social media, watching uh, you know the news, Fox News, skimming some of my go-to blogs, and what I've seen has been equal parts embarrassing, flabbergasting, shameful, and possibly worst of all, I've endured. Many, many volumes of bad, emotionally charged arguments and ludicrous false dichotomies all launched by the very people who I usually rely on to oppose bad arguments and false dichotomies. And it's all just giving me this massive migraine all week because there's, there's nothing. I, I really want to emph- em- emphasize that there is nothing that irritates me more in this world. Nothing. Irritates me more than bad arguments. I hate them. Well, okay. Uh, ventriloquists, poodles, those are the top two in the ears. Irrit- and then and then bad arguments are three. I hate bad arguments. I do hate them. Don't hate the people that make them, but I hate the argument itself. If I could waterboard bad arguments, I would. Not to get intelligence out of them, mind you, but, but because there is no intelligence to be found, but just to punish them for existing. That's all. I don't want to gloss over this bad bad arguments. There have been a lot of bad arguments um, in favor of torture that I've seen, and so I was watching, and and you've probably heard about this because it's been all over. It's been all over the blogosphere, as they say. Uh, Andrea Tenteros is one of the hosts on Fox News. I think she was on. um, Not sure what show she was on. Can't remember. Maybe it was, maybe it was, what was the show in the middle, they do in the middle of the day, um, Outnumbered, that might be the one. In any case, she's talking about torture and defending it and also criticizing the Democrats' motivation in releasing this report. And this is what she said, Andrea Tantaros on Fox News. She says, um, the United States of America is awesome. We are awesome. But we've had this discussion. We've closed the book on it. The reason they want the discussion is not to show how awesome we are. It's to show us how we're not awesome. They apologize for something, being the Democrats. They don't like this country. They want us all to look bad, and all this does is have our enemies laughing at us. No, you see, Andrea Tenteros, with all due respect, they're going to laugh at us because of things like that. You're arguing against the the torture report because it makes us look not awesome? Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Andrea Tenteros, what is it that makes this country awesome? What what exactly is it that makes this country awesome? You can't just insist, you can't just assert this country is awesome without some substantive reason for it. Unless, unless the reason why you think our country is awesome is for the same reason why I think, for instance, the Baltimore Ravens are awesome as a as a someone who grew up in Baltimore. You know, I'm a sports fan, so I'm going to think they're awesome no matter what. I'm going to be a fan of theirs because they're a sports team, and if somebody puts on the purple jersey i'm going to, I'm going to be a fan of theirs, unless they unless they play in the secondary, in which case it's I, they're all bums, but outside of that, they put on the purple jersey, I'm going to be a fan of theirs. But patriotism is an admirable thing because it's more substantive, it's deeper than just than, than, than the feeling you have for your football team or your, or your basketball team. There has to be something behind it, right? Something there. So the question is, what makes America awesome? I'm not saying that we're not awesome. But if you're saying that we're not not awesome, then you need a reason for that. And the reason that I always hear, the reason that I would give, the reason that people always, uh, that we sing about in the patriotic songs, the reason that we talk about on, on the 4th of July, the reason is equal rights, equal justice under the law, a beacon of freedom, right, of hope in the world. The reason is that we are we are not brutal animals. The reason is that we have we are above that the reason is we don't live in the dark ages we hold ourselves to a higher standard the, the thing is you can't just scoff at this you can't scoff at this and, th- and this is what this is this is something that particularly um people on the right like to do and i'm on the right and i know it is that when we get to talk about america's behavior in the world and then someone says hey we have to be held to a higher standard many times you'll hear someone on the right go but a higher standard get with it be real Okay, well then you can't scoff at the higher standard thing and then turn around and say that America's great. Can you? Because the reason why we're great is because of the high standard. We're great because of the things that separate us from everybody else. But if we're acting just like everyone else to preserve our greatness, then we have sacrificed that which makes us great to begin with. So they've already won. Regardless, we can have this conversation but to uh but that that uh they want to make us look like we're not awesome that's just embarrassing that's embarrassing childish childish really is it's very troubling to me because i believe so deeply in the absolute necessity for ideological consistency okay ideological consistency is paramount you must name your principles and whatever they are You must hold to them always in every situation and in the face of every issue. If you don't, then you quickly descend into a moral and intellectual chaos where your position on any given topic will be determined only by what's convenient, by what's expedient, by what's easy, and not what's consistent with your convictions. That's the problem. What are your convictions? What do you believe at the very bottom of everything? And don't say America is awesome. That's not a conviction, that is not a principle. That's not, that's, that's not a matter of uh, ideology, or at least it shouldn't be. I'm talking much deeper than that. I'm talking much deeper than platitudes. What are your convictions? And if there are sides to this deal, if there are, if there are camps, if there are, are ideological camps, then, then, then we determine who's in what camp based on, their, based on their fundamental convictions and principles. So for me, whatever camp I belong to, I know it's the camp where the belief in the sanctity and dignity of human life is fundamental. Now, this is the guiding light that determines my view on everything. I mean, everything. If I cannot square my views, whatever they are, with my knowledge that human life is sacred, then I will change my views. That's why I ultimately prefer not to be lumped into an ideology, because the thing that matters most to me, the sanctity of life, the most important thing in the world, the sanctity of life, is in the end always proven to be too difficult, too cumbersome, too large, too vast, uh, uh, too too deep, for any political movement to universally defend, because none of them do, that I that I've encountered. Now, the Christian faith does. The Christian faith universally defends the sanctity of life. It doesn't mean that every Christian individually has defended it, but the Christian faith has always stood for consistently the sanctity of life. Political movements, ideologies, have not ever. So as far as the torture report is concerned, I, um, the way I see it, there are four questions that need to be asked and answered. The questions are, are these tactics torture? Does torture work? Is torture legal and is torture moral? We're going to get into all four of those questions. And I, and if you're not on my side with this, I'm going to try to convince you. I'm going to try to convince you that, that uh, torture is, is, is wrong on all counts. And I'm going to uh, especially try to convince you that if you are a conservative and especially a Christian conservative, you really have no choice but to come down against torture. The torture report itself, um, you could ask other questions. You could, you could ask, uh, should it have been released? Should it have been released this week specifically? Um, the people releasing it, did they have the best intentions in mind? Was the information accurate? As far as those quandaries are concerned, I, I think there are many solid reasons to say no, it should not have been released. And no, the releasers did not have the right motivations. And you might even argue with 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 uh, some of the information and say that it's not accurate in certain parts. You might do all those things. I'm not having that conversation because you know what i I, I can see it on both sides. I really can but if you if your position is that it should not have been released for national security reasons. Um, if your position is that the people releasing it didn't have pure intentions, well, I'm, sure, I'm sure of that because we're talking about Democrats and Feinstein. I'm sure she did not have political, she did not have pure intentions. And I'm positive that if the torture report painted a Democrat administration in a negative light, there is no way, no way that Democrats will be releasing it. And we all know it. So you're saying, you question their motivations, great, I agree with you, fine. We'll end that discussion right there because I'm not arguing it. You think it shouldn't have been released? There is an argument there. On I understand the national security thing. On the other side of it, though, if people in the government are breaking the law, then we as Americans have a right to know. And by the way, that's one of the things, again, that separates us from the rest of the world. Where we don't give our government the right to... We don't say, oh, they're the government. They can lie and break the law. We don't say that. Other countries say that. North Korea says that. We don't, or at least we shouldn't. That's one of the things that Andrea Tenteros makes America awesome. So I would I would argue that even if the people putting the report together did not have the right intentions, it still should be out there in the public domain, and we should all know about it. But if you don't think so, fine. You know what? I, it, that's not a stupid position by any stretch of the imagination. So all right. The accuracy of the information, I've read a lot about it. Um, I've read a lot on both sides again, and... You might say that it's cherry picked. You might say that uh, some of it is out of context. I'm not really sure what context you can put some of it. I'm not sure what, you know, context you can put unnecessary forced rectal hydration in that would make it all of a sudden okay, except the context of medical necessity, but we know that's not the context. So, um, but whatever. Even that, I'm not going to argue about the accuracy of it because I wasn't there and neither were you. But none of that really matters because from what I've noticed, a lot of conservatives. They 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 go beyond criticizing the report itself, criticizing the politics of it, criticizing the accuracy of it. I, it. It seems like most go beyond that and say, you know what? Even if it is all true, regardless of the fact that we know it, I'm I'm still okay with it. So I've heard some people compare this to the Rolling Stone UVA rape story slash hoax, where only one side was. One side was was interviewed, and it's a it's a you know dubious information and all this, but this is very different because the people that criticize, like myself, the the Rolling Stone rape story, we criticized the accuracy of the reporting, we criticized the accuracy of some of the details, we criticized the method of reporting, we criticized the the political bent and motive and and the narrative and all that, but. The people criticizing the the, UV, the Rolling Stone UVA story, none of us actually said, hey, well, you know what? Even if it did happen, rape is okay. Now, that's how we're painted by feminists. We're painted as pro-rape and rape apologists. But I have not heard anyone say, hey, even if all that did happen with the Rolling Stone story, rape is still fine. So there is no comparison because in this case, what I am hearing is um, I have XYZ problem with the report. But hey, whatever they did, it's okay because it keeps America safe. Now, to help focus this conversation, I want to go back and, yeah, you can go on you know, the uh, National Review or, or, or any site and, and you can read the words of a lot of different conservative pundits, many of them very intelligent, very smart, and many of them I disagree with because many of these guys and, and women have... Articulated defenses of torture, but I'm not going to do that. I, I like to look at what, um, as Obama would say, you know, what all the Obama and Bill O'Reilly would say, what all the folks are are talking about. I like to go with just normal people and what they're saying. I think that gives us a better read of where, you know, where America actually lies on a given topic. So, as I said, I, I mentioned this on Facebook and I, I made my argument, my brief argument against torture. And a bunch of people responded, some of them very upset and irrational in their response, but some, some perfectly rational. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to read just on, this is from my Facebook, facebook.com slash Matt Walsh blog, uh, how you find me on Facebook. But this is from my actual Facebook page. This is the, the, the comments that were left on, on that thread. And I'm not cherry picking these at all. I'm just, I'm looking right now at my Facebook and I'm just going to read some of the comments from pro-torture people just to get an idea of how people feel about this, and so that we can focus this discussion a little bit more. So we'll go down here, Um, just a few examples. Nathan says, I'm struggling with this. I want to believe that all forms of torture are wrong, but if so, I would have to also believe that all killing is wrong. Being passive is often, in my mind, allowing slash permitting the torture and murder of others. How, as a Christian, could I not execute an individual who would be responsible for the unjust deaths of others without my actions? I'm all for making torture illegal if it is ineffective, but if it saves innocent lives, would not condemning torture also be condemning others to death? Uh, we're going to respond to all these. I'm just going to go down and we'll, 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 we'll read them and then we're going to go back and respond to all the points raised by all these uh, people. Erica says, we're fighting an enemy that believes Islam is the only way. The, uh, they kill everyone who does not think like them and believe what they do. They will not stop until we do something about it, and politely asking some guy whose entire life's goal is to see her life over is not going to cut it. I'd prefer they would just live their lives and allow others to live theirs, but that isn't the case. As a Christian, Matt, you are one of their targets, someone who needs to convert or die. So, yeah, by any means necessary to stop them, by any means necessary to get information we need. I know I'm, I said I'm going to respond to all these once I read all of them, but this, is, this comes up a lot. This, um, well, what, what are we going to do, politely ask them? This is what I'm talking about with bad arguments. That's uh, that's you know, with all again with all due respect, Erica, that is, uh, and I'm sure you're a, you're a perfectly fine person, but that that then perfectly intelligent, but that there is a really bad argument. That's something we call false dichotomy. You you've created a co- dichotomy where there are only two options: one is to ask terrorists nicely, and the other is to torture them. You've created a you, you've tried to frame the argument where there is nothing in between. But you know that isn't true. I don't even really need to respond to it. Of course that isn't true. Nobody, nobody, not even the most radical left-wing liberal that I'm aware of or that I've ever heard from in the country has actually suggested that instead of war, in principle, the only thing we can ever do is ask people nicely. No, I am not suggesting that we go to the terrorists and say, hey, gee, uh, gee would would you mind not killing us? Would you mind? Hey, yeah, but would you mind not blowing yourself up on that bus? I, Sorry, I don't mean to impose, but would you mind? That's not what I'm suggesting. Of course that's not what I'm suggesting. There is a time and a place and a just cause for war. And there is a just way to carry about a war. That doesn't involve handing out cupcakes or uh, singing kumbaya or giving out free hugs. But it also doesn't necessarily involve... Um, leaving someone to die on a concrete floor of hypothermia because they've been, they've, been chained, uh, they've been chained down to a floor naked for for several days. You know, th- there, there is room in between. There really is. Jason says, Love your work, Matt, but you're missing a critical distinction. These aren't soldiers captured on a battlefield. To compare one of our Marines who fights other soldiers to a terrorist is a horrible breach of logic and morality. Never in history has any military-slash-country accorded rights to terrorists waging war on civilians." I appreciate your concerns, I truly do, but please rethink your position based on this very pertinent distinction and retract your comparison of one of our Marines and a civilian murdering terrorists. Alright, again, I have to respond to this so you'll understand where that's coming from. On my Facebook, I said, um, I said you know, that that if the things that we did that were in this torture report, and we're going to go and talk about some of the specifics in a moment, but the things that we did to these, uh, terrorists, alleged terrorists, by the way, supposed terrorists, suspected terrorists, but the things that we did to them, if um, those things were done by an enemy force, whether it's a terrorist cell or, uh, you know, a hostile government. If those things were done to one of our military members, we would be, um, outraged. We would, of course, be outraged. We would, of course, consider it torture. And not only would we consider it torture, but we would use it as proof that these are barbaric animals and we should go kill them all. That's the point. So again, Jason, bad argument because you are misrepresenting what I said. Obviously, I am not comparing a Marine to a terrorist. What I'm doing is I'm comparing torture to torture. And what I'm saying is that we would be outraged if a Marine is tortured for more reasons than just he's a Marine. Yeah, that's that's part of it. We love our Marines, but... When a Marine is tortured, if a Marine was stripped naked and, uh, and uh, rectally violated and um, you know someone threatened to rape his mother to get information out of him and his family members were held hostage to get information out of him and he was left in a, in a coffin-sized box for 177 hours and uh, subjected to sleep deprivation for seven days and finally left to die on a floor somewhere, if that were to happen, we would be outraged for, m- for more reasons than he's a Marine. We would be outraged because he's a human being. Because if he was a Marine and not a human being, say he was a Marine and a robot, uh, we had a robot army and, and, and the robot army was, was captured and, and subjected to that, we wouldn't be as upset, would we? We would be sort of upset. We would say, hey, what are you doing with our equipment? But we wouldn't be as upset. We're upset when a Marine is tortured because it's torture and because he's a human being. Because, and, and, we use that as, as evidence, as an indictment against the other side because they're human beings. So, if we are going to separate those two things if we're going to separate his marineness from his humanness, which is not what I'm doing, but it appears to be what what Jason in some ways is doing, then when he's tortured, we would say that the enemy is torturing a marine, and uh yeah they're they're marine so subjectively to us, they're our marines, so we care a lot about them, but to the enemy, they're the enemy, and they don't care right It's not their country, and this guy's out there trying to kill them, so I guess they're just going to torture the Marine, right? It's just a Marine. But the standard that we try to hold other people to and other countries to, and the standard that if other countries fall short of it, we, short of it, we use to, to paint them as villains, the standard is, yes, this is the enemy. Yes, it's a United States Marine, and you are not in the United States, and in fact, this is your enemy, and this is someone who's trying to kill you, and you're trying to kill him. And yes, that's all true, but he's still a human being. And you are also a human being. No, you are not in the same country. You are on opposite sides of this particular struggle. But you are both human beings. And because you are both human beings, there is some standard of treatment. There is some basic standard of treatment of human dignity that you should adhere to. And if you don't, you are now acting as a subhuman. And that's what we would say about the other side. So the point I'm trying to make, Jason, is... Marines are not terrorists. But the reason why Marines shouldn't be tortured is not because, well, they're Marines. It's because, well, they're humans. And when it happens to Marines, we are not outraged that a Marine was tortured. We are outraged that a human being was tortured. We suddenly recognize, viscerally, intrinsically, we recognize the value of the human person. In that case... And the fact that the other side doesn't recognize it, we say, oh, these are animals, let's, let's drop an atomic bomb on them, right? But then suddenly, when we have terrorists, suspected terrorists, then, then then out of nowhere, we don't recognize the humanness anymore. The Marine was a Marine and a human being. This is a terrorist and just a terrorist, not a human being. It's not consistent. It doesn't make sense. And it undermines, it undermines our outrage that we so deeply feel when it happens to us, Amy says, I can see your point, Matt. I truly do. I generally agree with you hundred percent on everything, but the terrorists attacked us. Uh, we don't, as a rule, go around crashing planes into buildings in other countries or beheading others because we don't agree with their religious views. Americans don't, as a rule, strap themselves up with explosives and blow, blow up people in a country they're visiting. These people are terrorists and they hate America. I'm opposed to releasing the details of this report because of the backlash um, and uh, because they hate us. Scott says, it's not torture. Spin it any way you want. Our special forces guys are waterboarded in training. Torture was watching loved ones jump from a burning building. Fact is, we got information without anyone losing a limb or dead from interrogation. Well, some people did die, as a matter of fact. Um, and just saying that well, it's, not, it's, not, it's not torture if no one loses a limb. That's an arbitrary standard that you just pulled out of thin air. Why? Why? So being stuffed in a box for 177 hours, that's not torture. But if you cut off a finger, it is. I got to tell you, I would rather have a finger cut off. Wouldn't you? Totally arbitrary standard means nothing. And yes, our special forces guys might be waterboarded in training, but they choose to undergo that. And they know that it will end. And it's happening uh, from people who are not the enemy. Huge difference. Matthew says, don't, Matt Walsh, don't you find it convenient that this report was released the same day as the Gruber hearing? You're just serving up the attention they want, uh, you two on this subject and away from the disaster that is Obamacare. You know, I thought about that, Matthew. They released it on the same day as the Gruber hearing. And like I said... Um, uh, it's very possible that the release of this was politically motivated, but I'm not talking about that right now. And it doesn't really matter. We're talking about the actual issue of torture, but anyway, even if it did overshadow the Gruber hearings, who cares? Good, good riddance. You know why? Because the Gruber hearings were a total waste of time. They brought Gruber in. The Republicans did so they could chastise him and say a bunch of great conservative talking points about Obamacare. But uh, they brought him in and they said, "Oh, how dare you! This is outrageous! How could you say all those things?" I'm blah 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 blah. blah. I'm outraged. Blah. But the American people don't want Obamacare. You know that's that's the thing that they did. And everyone, and all the and all the conservatives applauded it. Oh, look how brave they are sitting up there and yelling at this guy. Look how brave. It's great. And then what do they do the next day, Matthew? They voted to fund Obamacare. So that was pointless. It was meaningless. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a sham. It was a waste of time. And it was done just to manipulate people like you, Matthew, and people like me. We have to be better than that and not fall for it. Ryan says, Matt, you live in a world that doesn't exist, brother. We'll ne- I will never forget 9-11. Uh, David says, everyone's got an opinion. Matt, typically I agree with yours. Not this time. As wrong as we might be in our enhanced interrogation, we still only tortured the guilty. We didn't go after their women and children. Another arbitrary standard, and also not true. By definition, we were torturing them in some ways to find out if they were guilty. But they weren't all guilty. That's just not true. And even if it was, it doesn't make torture okay. So, what actually happened, or what details were released about our torture, alleged torture? I'll read through a few of these. Obviously, it's a very long report, just a few examples. There are many more examples, but in fairness to the other side, um, this this uh, these examples are probably representative of a minority of cases, but all the same, some of these I've already mentioned, but we'll go through again. Uh, detainees were subjected to; these are detainees that were uh, that were uh, caught in the years after 9/11 by the CIA's um, detention and interrogation program. So detainees were subjected to rectal feeding, a process by which food or nutrients are pumped in through the anus, um, except in this case, there was no demonstrated medical need for it. So why were they doing it? And the answer is for the same reason why you might just go in and sodomize them with a broom handle. It's just to make them uncomfortable and to humiliate them and dehumanize them. The only reason why it was going on. Detainees were told that they would never leave these black sites and that their families would be sexually assaulted or murdered. Uh, in one case, uh, a detainee was told that his mother would be raped in front of him. One detainee, in fact, never did leave because he died of hypothermia after being tortured at one of the facilities. He was chained to a wall and left partially nude on a concrete floor and he died of hypothermia during an extended period of stress. Um, an interrogator operated a power drill near a detainee. I guess to make him worry that he'd drill his head in or something like that. Detainees were waterboarded until they turned blue. Now, waterboarding uh, is—it's not simulated drowning; it's drowning. If, if you're waterboarded and the person waterboarding you never stops, you will—you'll—you'll you'll die. Talk about arbitrary arbitrary standards. And, and this is this is this is also where some of this. I think that, that torture is cowardly, and I think especially the torture where we call it enhanced interrogation, we're too afraid to even call it what it is, and I can't respect that when you won't even call it what it is. And with our waterboarding not drowning them, there's no functional difference between waterboarding someone and just dunking their head in a vat of water. It just looks, it, it, it doesn't look as bad. It, it, just, it just looks uh, less upsetting. It looks less like you're drowning. So that tells me that even the people doing it don't want to confront what it is that they're doing. It's sort of like the rectal hydration thing. This is, you are sodomizing them to get information out of them. But you call it rectal hydration because you don't want to confront what it is that you're actually doing. And if you can't confront it, then I don't know why we should have to. Or I should say, if you can't accept it, then I I certainly don't think that the rest of us should. Forced nudity was regularly used as an interrogation technique. Um, We know that uh, a detainee, a Saudi Arabian citizen, who faced 20 days of nonstop enhanced interrogation techniques, i.e. torture, is still being held there since, I believe, 2002. This person underwent extended periods of isolation, confinement in a coffin-sized box. In one case, uh, somebody was left in a coffin for... A total of 266 hours, which is 11 days and two hours, in a coffin. At one black site, groups of detainees were regularly stripped, beaten, and hooded, uh, beaten, hooded, and bound with tape. There was something called, a, I think they called it a hard takedown, where they would run in to the room, a bunch of CIA agents, strip the guys down naked, drag them across the floor while beating them against the head and the chest. sleep deprivation was used, there was one guy that was uh, made to stay awake for seven hours straight. um, Seven hours. (laughs) That wouldn't be too bad. Seven days. Seven days he was held awake. The thing about uh, being held awake for five, six, seven days is that you'll start to hallucinate. It causes psychosis. So I have to wonder, what kind of information are you getting out of somebody when they have now gone into a psychotic hallucinatory state? doesn't seem like the most effective means. Detainees were refused access to toilets, put in diapers, left hanging by their wrists and cells for extended periods of time. Uh, In one case, a guy was left hanging for 22 hours for two consecutive days. Others were forced to maintain stress positions, uh, even on broken limbs, and even though medical personnel had advised against it, which means that interrogators shackled these guys in the standing position for sleep deprivation for extended periods of time, um, even even if they you know had broken broken ankles and broken legs and things, an yeah, interrogator reportedly played Russian roulette with a detainee. Um, the CIA detained individuals who did not meet its outlined detain- de- uh, uh, detention standards, and they were used to extract information from family members. So we have one case where uh, uh, someone who was intellectually challenged, quote unquote, was held even though they were innocent and used as a bargaining chip to get information out of uh, somebody else. And we know that some people were tortured even though, that they, even though they were innocent and then they were eventually released. And we know that many CIA officials themselves were disturbed by what was going on uh, and by, by what they witnessed. So now that we know what we're dealing with, we have to get back to the questions. Are these tactics torture? I would say unquestionably, unquestionably, they are torture. I'm not one to usually quote the UN, but we can go, if we want to define torture, we can we can look at Article 1 of the UN Convention Against Torture. And uh, it says, torture means any act by which severe pain or suffering... Whether physical or mental is intentionally inflicted on a person for such purposes as obtaining from him or a third person information or a confession, punishing him for an act he or a third person has committed or suspected of committing or intimidating or coercing him or a third person or for any reason based on discrimination of any kind when such pain or suffering is inflicted by or at the instigation of or with the consent of or acquiescence of a public official or other person acting in an official capacity. It does not include pain or suffering arising only from inherent in or incidental to lawful sanctions. So I use that definition, not because it's the UN and has some kind of credibility, but because uh, it's a good definition and I think it's an accurate one. And I think it works. So you have to be able to to define torture and, and unless you have a, a better definition now saying, well, torture is lopping off fingers and slitting somebody's throat. And that's just naming things. That's not a definition. You're just cherry picking certain tactics that don't include the tactics that you're trying to condone in that case. So you gotta come up with a definition. That's mine. I think it's good. I think it's pretty, uh, I think it's pretty inclusive and conclusive. And by that definition, by any reasonable definition, these tactics are torture. The next question is, do they work? You're gonna hear a lot of things on both sides on this one. And I think there are arguments on both sides. I think the answer is that, um, well, we know that there wasn't a single case where, you know, uh, there was an atomic bomb that was minutes away from being launched. And this is like Jack Bauer 24. We got to get information out of this guy so we can go defuse the bomb in five minutes. And even, even the people that are, the apologists for this stuff admit that there was never that, that was never going on. It was never that direct. But what they say is that they built a basis of, of intelligence that was then used and con- that contributed to, you know, taking down certain targets and uh, winning certain battles in the war on terror. So fine I'm willing to bet that all that happened. But we also know that they would have that they would have and 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 this is documented but just logic logic follows that they would get a lot of bad information. So in order to get to the good information they have to sift through volumes and volumes and gallons and gallons of sweat and blood soaked bad information. Because if you don't have information You're going to say, I don't have information, which is what even the people who have information say. So the CIA starts torturing you. At a certain point, even if you don't have the information, you're just going to start saying whatever it is you think they want you to say. And and at a certain point, it's been four days, you haven't slept, you've been waterboarded, you've been beaten. You're just saying whatever. I mean, anything. Anything that will convince them to stop, which we know would definitely happen. I think you or I would probably do that. If we were in that spot, we didn't have the information, but we were being tortured, we would just... You know, you try for two days to say, look, I don't know. They don't stop torturing you. Eventually, you're going to say, okay, here you go. But in any case, whether it works or it doesn't, that doesn't matter. Because the question is, is it moral? Is it right? A thing does not become moral or become right just because it, quote, works. Or just because it results in in a positive end. To say that is to advance an ends-justify-the-means philosophy. Now, there are a lot of people throughout history who have espoused ends-justify-the-means, but the thing is you want to be very careful about aligning yourself with those folks because invariably the ends-justify-the-means people throughout history have been the tyrants, the murderers, and the bullies. They have been the Adolf Hitlers and the Stalins and the Pol Pots of, of of history. Okay, that's ends-justify-the-means. Christian thought, cogent moral thought of any kind across the world, not even just Christian thought, has always held that the ends do not justify the means. In fact, it is—it is. this is a fundamental principle. The ends do not justify the means. They can't justify the means. Because the good end... If it's a good end, then, then the end is to prevent or end some kind of evil. But if you're causing evil to prevent or end an evil, then you haven't in fact prevented or, co- or, or ended any evil. You've just caused a new one. You've caused a new evil in hopes of ending another evil, which, which you probably won't even succeed in doing anyway. But even if you do, you really didn't. Ends do not justify the means. Believe me, you do not want to be on the side of ends justify the means. And you do not want to be subject to a government that believes the ends justify the means. You want to talk about slippery slopes. This slope this this slope will slip you all the way down into the most horrendous things you can possibly imagine. Because you want to know something? Ends justify the means. Hey, it keeps us safe. It might not be good, but it keeps us safe. Well, in that case, let's just put um, toxic chemicals into the water supply in all the inner cities across the, across the country. Just kill them all off, right? It, it'll probably make... America safer, because the inner cities are crime-ridden areas, and so if you, just, if you just destroy all the crime-ridden areas and kill everybody in them, you'll end up with less crime. Well, less crime except for the massive crime of killing millions of people. So you've gotten rid of smaller crimes, um, but you've created a much bigger one in the process. Ends do not justify the means. So it doesn't even matter if it works or if it doesn't. The answer is it's dubious whether or not it works. It works sometimes, it doesn't work other times, but that doesn't matter. Is torture legal is the next question. Well, that's that's a pretty simple answer. No, it's not legal. And the CIA knew that it wasn't legal, which is why they lied about it. Uh, finally, we get to the big question, is torture moral? To that, I would answer, of course, as you can guess, I I think it's immoral. And it's not only immoral, but it is the definition. It is almost the definition of immoral. Or I'll say this, if torture is not immoral then nothing can be immoral if the standard by which you uh, you know ascertain morality or immorality does not include torture then it's a standard that couldn't possibly include any other activity either now you're left with relativism you're you're left with subjectivism you're left with uh torture is okay sometimes and not other times murder is okay sometimes and not other times torture is wrong because it undermines the dignity of the human person and the sanctity of human life. It is targeted dehumanizing, debasing brutality with the purpose of being targeting targeted, dehumanizing and debasing. And it's immoral because as is the case with any immoral act, it dehumanizes the victim, but it also dehumanizes the person doing it. The person committing the act is dehumanizing themselves as well. You're treating this person like an animal naked with tubes shoved up their, uh, up their rectum, beating them over the head, threatening to rape their, their mother, their children. You're treating them like an animal, but at the same time, you are acting. You're behaving like an animal. You're not behaving like a man. You're not behaving like a human being. So it is a, a dirty, horrible thing. Intrinsically wrong. Now, intrinsically, I keep using that word. Intrinsically wrong means that it's wrong in every context. It means that it is, it is, it is wrong down to a very elemental level. So there is no situation where all of a sudden it's right. So that responds to some of those, uh, some of those uh, arguments that I read from people on Facebook. Said, well, hey, if we're against torture, then I guess we should be against war. I guess we should be, should be against all killing. Well, no. Because war is not intrinsically wrong and killing is not intrinsically wrong. Killing in and of itself is not an intrinsically wrong act. It can be in certain contexts. If murder is intrinsically wrong. Killing is not. There is a difference. There's a distinction. There is no distinction with torture. Torture is torture. I know we tried to draw a distinction, but that's a distinction without a difference. This is a distinction with a difference. So killing, um, an example of a distinction is someone breaks into your home with a gun, tries to kill your children, you shoot them. That is self-defense. It is killing, but it's not murder. The reason why it's not murder is because your, your actual intent is to protect your children and protect yourself. That is, that's, that's what you're doing. So, so to protect them, you might be taking someone's life. But you're not taking someone's life just for the sake of taking it. This isn't vigilantism. This isn't, this isn't uh, revenge. This isn't vengeance. And I know you'll say, well, isn't torture the same thing? Isn't it about neutralizing a threat? That's the justification used, but it's not the same thing. Torture is a deliberate act unto itself. Torture, as I said, is torture. Uh, it, it, and and there, it isn't comparable because when you're shooting the guy who breaks into your home, this is, a, this is just a one-two punch. This, is, this person right now is about to kill you, and so you kill them. Now, you don't, you don't capture them and drag them into the basement and uh, lock them in a box for 14 days and then kill them. That would be wrong. You're responding in the moment to protect your family. You go beyond that and you've done something that is wrong. You've done something that's horribly, horribly immoral. You have become like the threat itself. So I guess you could say that torturing someone is not like killing someone who breaks into your house. It's like torturing someone who breaks into your house. Torture is like torture. Okay? In every, in every case. Now, war is the same way. War can be justified. There's something called a just war. And there are certain tenets and principles to a just war uh, that should be met for it to be just. So not all war is just, but there can be a just war. World War II was a just war. We, we can argue about whether the war on terror is. But there's no question that there can be a just war when it is launched to uh, defend the nation against a threat. When it's a when it's a a war that is not ambiguous, when it's a war that can be won, and in fact as I'm saying this right now I'm realizing that I guess, well then the the war on terror is not is not a just war because it is ambiguous and it can't really be won. It can't be won because it's a war against a tactic. Terrorism is a tactic. It's not a type of person. It's not a nation, as, uh, as many conservatives have pointed out. Hey, they're not, you know, they're not real soldiers. They're, they're terrorists. That might be true, but that doesn't mean that you can torture them, and that doesn't mean that you can use the ambiguity, ambiguity that we ourselves have helped to create against them. So we, when, when we say we're in a war on terror, that is an ambiguous notion. And when you fight ambiguous wars, you end up with ambiguous enemies. You might say that's just the way it is right now, but that doesn't all of a sudden make torture okay. Speaking of false choices, when I'm saying that we shouldn't torture suspected terrorists, that doesn't mean that we give them constitutional rights. That doesn't mean we give them habeas corpus. That doesn't mean we bring them uh, and, 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 you know, into, into American courtrooms. I'm not saying that. Because, because habeas corpus and, and uh, you know, the, the, the Fourth Amendment and Miranda rights, these are American rights. But being, you know, not being subjected to torture, that's just a human right. It doesn't matter if you're a terrorist or whatever, that's a human right. And it's not a human right because it's enshrined in some UN charter. It's not a human right because any politician or any government said it was. It's a human right because God himself says it is. It's a human right because it's fundamental to our human nature to be treated as humans, even when, even when the other side is not treating us like humans. And I want to stop here and concentrate on that for just a moment because um, this is this is a really important point. And when I was reading those responses on Facebook, as I said, a, a lot, and there were there were a lot more, but um, many people have said, "Hey, you know, nine they, eleven, they they took down the buildings. These are terrorists. They they, they murder women and kids. Um, they're a real threat to the United States. I mean, everything's changed because of terrorists and so on." And I agree, obviously, that uh, terrorists, so-called. Uh, if they are terrorists, do horrible things. And I agree, obviously that nine 11 was a terrible thing, but it doesn't change. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't change the uh, facts of existence. Um, It doesn't make immoral things suddenly moral. And, and I should say that there's nothing especially unique about our place in history right now. There's nothing especially unique about the, about the threat that we face right now. Okay. Every, every, Generation in American history has faced some kind of threat, and many of those threats have been much more significant and much more potentially deadly than the threat that terrorists face. And yeah, they got us on 9/11. It was it was the worst attack on American soil uh, of ever, and that's and that's true. But by and large, terrorists are disorganized, primitive, and disjointed. So they can't be compared to, say, the, the Soviet Union during the Cold War or Nazi Germany during World War II. We have faced greater threats in the past. Other countries have faced greater threats. There is always going to be, you know, this is where we are right now in history. We have terrorism. But there's always going to be some kind of existential threat. So it appears that, that, that what people are saying is, um, yeah, torture is, you know, it's fine to be against torture as long as there's no significant existent, existential threat. But there's always going to be an existent- a significant existential threat. And the reason why we're against torture is because there's always a significant existential threat. So you can't say, oh, terrorists came along and so, hey, no, torture is okay. No, the reason why we go on about the the, the value of life, sanctity of life, the, the dignity of the human person. We talk about that especially for situations like this. It is It is because of terrorism that it's important for us all to recognize and always recognize the dignity of the human person. It's because of terrorism, not in spite of it, not except for it. It's because of it. It's just like with freedom of speech. It's like the people who say yeah freedom of speech say whatever you want and then the first time they hear you say something offensive they want to take your job from you they want to put you in jail they want to make, set up free speech zones on college campuses they want to they want to you know throw they want to stop you from speaking you know so so they don't what they're saying is yeah I believe in, in freedom of speech until someone says something offensive and then I don't believe it anymore the reason why we have freedom of speech is specifically for the situations where someone says something offensive so the reason If you do not stand for freedom of speech when someone says something offensive, then you don't stand for freedom of speech. So, if you do not stand for the dignity of the human person and the sanctity of life when terrorists are concerned, then you don't stand for the sanctity of life and the dignity of the human person at all. Because that is the only time when it's necessary. It's easy to go about your daily life and say, "Yeah, I believe that people are dignified and life is important" because it doesn't really come up. Yeah, I guess to a certain extent if you flip somebody off on the highway in some ways you've devalued them as a person, but it doesn't come up in the same way, does it? And I'm trying to address all the points and I got I got to wrap things up here, but I so look, I I think conservatism has a lot to offer, but it would have a lot more to offer. It would have a lot more to offer if it had the guts to stand by its principles in every case to never descend into platitudes to never make exceptions because it's that kind of relativism that that we need conservatism to battle against think about how powerful the movement would be even from a political standpoint if it just if it just said you know what the sanctity of life i stand for it in every case every case Think about how powerful that would be. Think about what you do to the pro life movement when you go on and on about how abortion is this assault on the sanctity of life, which it is. And the next thing you know, you're justifying sodomizing terrorists to get information out of them. Think about that. Think about what you're doing. What's more important, pro life cause or the pro torture cause? What's more important? What's more fundamental? What's more essential to the future of our nation? If you tell me it's protecting torture, then I'm going to tell you something. We're not on the same side then. We have drastically different beliefs about about what's important, what's needed. But I think we are on the same side. And I think everyone just needs to take a step back and think about this. So that's it. I think I've exhausted the topic. I appreciate you listening. Talk to you next week, everybody.